Hello, gentle listener. It's me, Ed Fortune, and you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, and this is The Bookworm. Today is a team show, so hello! Hello! Um, so, uh, I'm Ed, and who else is here? Well, you have Ross Smith, that I'm released from the cupboard once more. <laughs> and Infa Hayes is here. Hi, everyone. Cy Lloyd. And Del. I've not been here for ages. Hi Del. Hello Del. Hello. <laughs> um, so uh, today's show is a Terry Pratchett special. Um, in case you, you didn't know, um, Mr. Terry passed away a little while ago, um, and we have been wanting to do a team show about the Discworld novels for a while. So we just felt it was best, quite appropriate to do it as soon as we could. So that's why we're all here um, to talk about the man's work. But first. We have the news. If you want to join in, by the by, you can contact us on uh, Radio Bookworm on Twitter, you can contact us on Radio Bookworm on Facebook, you can contact us on Radio Bookworm via Tumblr, you can find us on Mixcloud, you can find us on iTunes, uh, you can find the, the station itself on FabRadioInternational.com, and you can also write into the letters page of Starburst Magazine if you really want to. All of that out of the way, we're going to get on and present the news first. the world 24 hours a day this is Fab Radio International It's team show today, so obviously if you're listening to us live, and why wouldn't you be, you can catch us on the webcam as well, which is on fabradiointernational.com. Uh, I, I, sorry about the webcam. Uh, we can only <laughs> apologise. Everyone else everyone else is dressed like nicely, because they're like, oh, the stuff, we're doing things, and I'm like, t-shirt, never mind. Anyway, we should do the book news before we get on to um, the, the, the long conversation about all things uh, Discworld. Hey, Ed, I've heard there's a new chapter in the I love you, Amazon, I hate you. You Amazon oh. <laughs> soap opera straight in. <laughs> there is, there is indeed. Um, it, it's a, it's an ongoing mess at the moment. They're both talking to their lawyers, Aww. So. Aww. but not each other. That's the tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> somebody we... think of the children. <laughs> so, somebody, somebody think of the books. I know. It's okay. Let them work it out. Well, I, I mean, mediation. E- each one of the big five publishers is going to relationship ha- counselling. Each one of the big five publishers is going to have to deal with their their relationship with Amazon, and you know they're going to have to come to terms. I didn't realise it was a polyamorous relationship. Amazon is the girl that all the bad boys want. <laughs> That, that's a, that's a but they all match. want her at their own terms, though. Yeah. Don't give it away, Amazon. Don't. It, you can't it, tame that lady. It's almost like it's a young adult romance novel. Funnily enough, it is UKYA day today. So, Yay. so happy UKYA day. Yay, uh, young adult. We, which Ed informed me in the car is not just Geordie day. It's award season. Um, We'll we'll avoid the obvious award scandal just for a moment, shall we? Um, 
Down, Russell, down. Okay, we do have a show to do. <laughs> oh, there's a sad puppy around here. Yeah, see what I did? See what I did? Yeah, that was a subtle nymph. <laughs> so let's talk about the Gemmels first. Uh, talking about awards that are, you know, certainly managed. Um, the Gemmels, which will be announced at Nine Worlds, and uh, some of us will be there as well when it's all announced. Ooh. But the uh, the long list is up. You can go and vote. Uh, the way the Gemmels works is basically the publishers go high and throw their books at the Gemmels, and then the Gemmels turn around and go, the, the people who organise the Gemmels go, right, members of the public, vote, and then off you go, go to their website, vote. There's some great stuff there. Robin Hobb's got a book there. Joe Abercrombie's got a book there. Adrian Tchaikovsky's got a book there. Yay! Yay! Um, Cameron Hurley, Edward, Edward Cox and Dan Patrick are all Joe Abercrombie! We yeah. like Joe. Joe's up, Joe's up for a Morning Star. Is it a Morning Star? No, uh, he's up for a Legend Award. Wow. Um, and the Morning Star Awards. Cameron Hurley, debut author Cameron Hurley, despite the fact that she's written like five books, debut author Cameron Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> wow. She, she's eternally a debut author for some reason because she's new to different parts of the market all the time. And mm. I believe Adrian's nomination is Seal of the Bloom. Yes, Adrian's is Seal of the Worm, which is a, a Legend uh, nomination. Um Raven Heart Awards, which are for covers. Now, I was looking at the covers, and some of the covers are quite clearly uh, just the publishers going, Yes, well, this book's marvellous, therefore the cover's marvellous. Mm. Vote for that. And some of them are brilliant. Uh, Chase Stone, who did the, the, the World of uh, Ice and Fire. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. And even though the kind of it's, it's for the cover, and the cover's a bit meh, but you open the pages and you're just like, Oh my goodness, the art is amazing. So, yeah, I, I, I think Chase Stone should win, but. Uh, you, go onto the website and vote with your heart uh, we also on our website have linked to all the various covers for the Ravenheart um, the Clark Awards have gone up eee! Eee! <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm awfully excited are you? yes yes I am you? have you got something to say to me Del? <laughs> say to my face I think you're excited for and all the wrong reasons all well and it's you your opinion obviously it's the wrong opinion um, <laughs> Basically, we've reviewed uh, uh, uh. about half of these books that are on the, on the Clark Awards list. Um, the Girl of All the Gifts. Yeah. Well, not Boo, but Boo Dale. Just Boo Dale. Boo Memory of Water. Yay! I'm so loud, you're never going to get me. You see, I, I reviewed Europe. No, no. You see, I reviewed Europe in autumn, and I actually didn't like it. So yeah! I'm, so I'll be quiet. <laughs> no, it's a really good book. I just wasn't in the mood. Um okay. Uh, the Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber. We will have a review of The 15 Lives of Harry August at some point soon. Some hopefully. point soon. Yay! Um, <laughs> I absolutely adored Station Eleven, and George R. R. Martin agrees with me. Station, of Le- Station Eleven is awesome, so therefore is that I the win. New, like, if George agrees, then, you know, shut up. It's true. It's definitely <laughs> true. It must be true. <laughs> Not quite that, but George has been doing some very important stuff, which we'll get on to later. We'll get yeah. to that in a moment. But I do think we... that was just... Ed's way of saying like Ninfa and Del, your opinion does not matter not as much as George R. Martin. You know <laughs> so what? I resent that. I resent that. <laughs> I resent that. <laughs> if George has an opinion, George should be here to make that opinion heard. Is George here? He's not. Please come, George. We love you. Yay! In fairness, I've read. That is the. The, the, the definition of fame. I was killed in a book by George R. R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, dear. I wish. It's actually something that you could have done. You could have uh, given him money for a wolf's charity. Uh, there was yep. a chari- charity thing for wolves, and if you gave him enough money, he would have created a character just to kill you in one of his novels. That's um, so good. Uh, we are so deranged. Several people oh. did go for that. Um, <laughs> yes, um, t- still talking about the clocks, actually. I've yep. read several of these. 
Um, I've got to. I've got to say, I've not read *The Girl with All the Gifts* yet. I have read *Memory of Water*. It is better than *Station Eleven*, but just, just, just *Station Eleven* is gorgeous as well. Um, anyway, moving on from there, um, and kind of in theme with the rest of the show, there's a Pratchett play bid going on. Uh, Faust, sorry, Eric. Um, <laughs> Is that how you pronounce a cross-through? Yeah. On the radio, okay. Faust, okay. sorry, Eric. Because um, it's Eric with an exclamation mark, so it's Eric! Um, <laughs> you know, that's the only one I've not read. It, it, I'm sandwiching oh, already. It, we'll talk I've about got it. it, I've got it, I own it, it's on the shelf. We'll, we'll, ta- it. we'll talk about it in a, at a point, but um, in a moment, eventually we'll get around to it. Uh, but yes, so uh, a company called Duck and Hat Productions started a Kickstarter, they got permission, they've written the script, they've got the costumes, they're all ready to go to the Edinburgh Fringe, they sorted out crowdfunding, they started crowdfunding, and then the Pratchett Estate, we believe it was the Pratchett Estate, turned around and said, eh, you haven't actually secured permission for crowdfunding, so they can't crowdfund it. Oh. Um, which is interesting. I, I don't know the fine details, I've, I've asked them to, to tell me more and they haven't. Um, but that's possibly probably because they're keeping it under lid until they get it sorted. Yeah, yeah. they're running around trying to fix them. Something that needs to happen. They've said it's definitely. Press, they've said it's definitely happening. Yeah. Um, and you know, I asked them that. We've asked them nicely. They're too busy, basically, which is fair enough because this happened literally like twelve hours ago. So they've just found out. They're just trying to fix things. Hopefully they'll be able to sort it out. It will be Check happening. Check us out with the hot news. Yeah, I was going to say hot off the press. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, hot, 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 hot. <laughs> hey, I, I've got a new tech toy this week, so I might be, uh, end up with some sort of sting that says hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'd love to help Duck and Hat out if we can, but we'll tell you how you can help them out and get Faust, sorry, Eric, onto the stage uh, at some point. Um, but it should be at the fringe, and we'll try and get there as well. Shall we? Sorry, did you just say we're going to try and get to Edinburgh Fringe? I'm, I'm going. We always Yay. try and get to Edinburgh Fringe. So everyone come and we can all represent. Represent! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's oh, going to so be a busy strange. summer. We are so strange. We're really not. Yeah. We're really not. Yeah. No. We're the little book nerds in the club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely. Actually, with I our graphic novels. Oh, legit! This <laughs> <laughs> is chaotic. It is actually. very chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> there will be some of us at the other I've, I've given up and I'm drinking tea. <laughs> is, that, is that a little um, <laughs> corrected, as we say in Italy? I think we need a talking stick. <laughs> Can nah. we have a punch instead? <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Fab Radio International, it's not the nightmares from outside your ears. Um, dungeon Dimensions. The Dungeon Dimensions. Um, Stop Stop trying to hit someone with a book then. It's, it's, it's the Ice King by, by right. MK Hughes. Use your words. We, we are not going to be talking about the sad puppies because uh, we have run out of time in the news section. <laughs> we might be able to talk about it at the end. You oh, can it's read about them anyway. You can read about them anyway. Yeah. So, um, coming up next, we're going to be talking about books. Hello, and if you survived the previous chaos, welcome to some even more chaos. <laughs> so, uh, yes, we're here mostly in this show to talk about Terry Pratchett and the work of, works of Terry Pratchett. Um, shall we? Shall we get in very early and talk about Strata and his very the carpet people and his very very early work? Yeah, um, so let's get that done. 
he he basically he worked he worked as a journalist for the Book Street yeah, Press. You're bouncing it. Like, like this is really disturbing. You, well, you're talking and bouncing. Like, oh my god, I'm so excited. He worked well. Mm, um, <laughs> he worked for the Book Street Press as an indie journalist. Uh, many many high quality reporters and uh, press people have worked for Are the Book Street Press. Are you just saying that because you did too? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love you, eh? Uh, hi, Steve. Uh, <laughs> so yes. so. So yes, <laughs> I really hope not. Um, so yes, he started off and he met actually a local small press publisher as a journalist. That's where the Carpet People came from. It was his first book, uh, the Carpet People division that you can mostly get your hands on. It was written by two authors, Terry Pratchett and Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett when he was a young man and Terry Pratchett when he was more seasoned author. Um, it's all right, Carpet People. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, almost a children's literature, isn't it? It's a kid's book. Yeah. It, it's a yeah. fun kid's it's book. Fruit prequel to Truckers. Well, it, no. No, it came out before Truckers. It, it came out before Truckers. Oh, man, the trilogy tril- series is just... Is it a trilogy? It's a yeah, trilogy. Yeah. It's absolutely awesome, because it's just like, you know, it's like the borrowers, but they're actually practical people rather than mm. some kind of twee Victorian nonsense. Um, what? <laughs> what? So there was past Terry and future Terry. There's, a, yeah. there's some time travel thing going on. It basically, it was a, like an old version of. If anyone was going to do it, it's, it's it would be Sir Terry or Alan Moore. Mm. I think Alan Moore has actually travelled within his own timeline and just got grumpy as he's done so. <laughs> like, done it so just made it more cynical and miserable. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, um, no, I prefer the trucker stuff to um, to it, its obvious parallel, which is which is the borrowers, because I just ugh, I think the borrowers is just too cute for me, and I think actually when you're, when you're edgy, you're not cute. You're, you're too edgy. Adaptations worth watching, though. Oh, Arietti, it's lovely. It's really anyway, lovely. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, Sorry. and he goes back to doing young adult stuff because uh, it is young adult day. So yeah. I suppose he goes back to doing young adult stuff much later. Much later. Johnny and the Dead. Amazing Maurice and his Educated Rodents, which I absolutely the, adore. The Nat Mac Fiegel books are like young adult books as well, aren't they? Yeah. And oh god, yeah, they're so good. Yeah. The Tiffany Aching. Oh. The Tiffany Aching stuff is just absolutely. Be- if you've not read them for some mad reason, do so. Do. Um, the, they're, they're about I mean each of them are about different things my favourite is Winter Smith see I which was Frozen before Frozen was uh, yeah Let I really enjoy <laughs> Hat, <laughs> um, Hat Full of Sky is I, 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 it was one of those books that I stayed up all night because I just couldn't like I couldn't put it down mm. um and, but it was like it was actually quite terrifying at some points like well, it's got really a, scary yeah, yeah. it's got a hideous mind parasite Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And he's it, actually they're all quite dark. I mean, yes, um, they are. I, I, I will wear midnight. Is the one where you just not read that one yet. I've not read that one yet. It came out when he was uh, when we knew that Terry was ill, mm. and it was one of the first ones that came out when we knew that Terry was ill. And it's about death. And uh, we should maybe touch upon it maybe later on in the show. But it's yeah. about death. Um, and there was a moment with Granny Ravrax where you just sit there and you go. No, not Granny, um, and she is quite old. But um, actually, the last book, uh, Shepherd's Crown, will be a Tiffany Aitken book. Mm. Oh, oh, lovely! I, I, I have a, I have a theory about some of the scenes in that, which I'll keep to myself for now. Yes, you should. Um, but I have a couple of theories that are a little bit dark. But yes, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Sorry, we've gone on a total tangent, so we we'll scroll back. Yeah, the early works. <laughs> uh, and okay, so we've got stuff like the colour of magic. Yeah. 
Um, which mm. did they turn into a TV series? It didn't yeah. work. With Sunrise Gouges. Did, it, yeah, um, Sean Astin, um, uh, David Jason, who is actually brilliant. Um, but things like, like Luggage just he's was a non-entity on the David, TV. David Jason was r- is a really good actor. He just didn't work as Rincewind. He just no. See, I, I don't work. hate the adaptations. No, oh no, I don't hate all of it. Like, um, Hogfather was amazing. Hogfather. The first half is brilliant. The I second half it. was just, yeah. Um, going postal was brilliant. Going I postal think, was so I think good. Possibly, you need a school of acting to do Pratchett. You need a school of acting to do Pratchett dialogue properly. Yeah. Because mm. it just comes out as really comes across as really awkward. Mm. It's 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 not naturalistic, but it reads like it is. In I, I think one of the things that's really obvious about, and again we've tangented, but one thing that's really obvious about the way Going Postal works is the two things that works for the adaptation mm. of Going Postal is this: Circus is an improv actor. Mm. He's used to uh, using his physicality, and he's also very used to speaking quickly. So he's so he's a perfect moist. Mm. He's also used to playing slime balls. Uh, and moist is a slime ball. Yeah. It's the clues in the name, um, and that really works. Also, the, the thing with going postal is it's about Ankh Morpork. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah. The, the, the I think it's a, a small Polish town or a Czech town. They, yeah, they it's no Eastern Europe. And I love the post office building that they found. Is it, it's is amazing. It, um, Richard Coyle, isn't it? And but who's who's Veterinary in that one? Is that Charles Dance? It's Charles Dance. Who's a so good choice? Very yeah. good choice. He's who I see in my head now. Like, uh, he's, he's done very well. If you're listening and you don't know the books, Vetinari, how would you describe Lord Vetinari? How, how do you describe Lord Vetinari? Well, I getting... describe him as Charles Dance because I haven't <laughs> read so many of the books mm. and, you know, <laughs> Charles well, he, Dance. He's tall, uh, yeah. thin, he uses silence well and he's very imposing, so, yeah, Charles Dance. Um, <laughs> he, is, he is actually a very good choice. Mm. Um, whereas, for me, death, of course, is Christopher Lee. Yeah, oh, another good choice. I think for me, the voice will always be Tony Robinson because my introduction to Pratchett was listening to audiobooks on a very long car journey in Ireland. Um, we drove from kind of North Donegal to South Kerry and we listened to Terry Pratchett audiobooks all the way. And Tony Robinson does them so well, and his death is just, mm. it's just in my head. That's mm. there all the time. Ian Richardson as well has done Death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. He, he did Death in the Hot adaptation Father. of. He did Hot it. Father. Hot Father. Hot Father. Yes. Did yeah. he not also do Good Omens? The audio, Ooh, the audio adaptation. Because yeah. it wasn't yeah, Christopher Lee. He was Lee. amazing in the, in the Hot Father adaptation. No, it could have been Good Omens. He was dead by the time he did that. Yeah. Oh, you might. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Because Good Omens was only a couple of months ago, yeah. really, wasn't it? That it aired. Mm. I'm sorry, my head is now gone to. Christopher Lee playing an old Baldrick with the. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see that. We never will, but I would love to. Uh. See <laughs> uh, I'd love to see him actually in Blackadder. He'd be a fantastic mm-hmm. Blackadder. We but were talking the colour of magic, weren't we? An early work. Yeah. yeah, which is not really a solid one solid book. It's a collection of novellas, like a lot of early yeah. author mm-hmm. stuff. It's it's really it's three or four novellas that kind of slide into each other, and he 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 builds a world. And he built a world using very little. Um, and one of the things that I always, I always love about his early stuff is you look at Strata, which is a sci-fi book yeah. about people who build planets. Um, and they find this planet, which is a fantasy world, and it's got like dragons in it and ogres and orcs. And these, these um, sci-fi guys are running around going, 
what is this world? It makes no sense. Why? How? How can these dragons have evolved? What's going on? And then they suddenly realise that this entire world is a gag that's mm. been left there by a creator. Some creative force, some alien intelligence, has left a little, little joke as a clue that some intelligence has actually built everything. And that kind of, that notion that there is a creator has, has permeated through all of Terry Pratchett's yeah. work. And though he was a he was a humanist and he didn't believe in it, he, he, he believes in the spirituality but not a divine force, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Um, he, he does get an awful lot of jokes out of the idea that there might be a creator god. Start to start off with them. So having a pop at some of the young earthers, really, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, it start to start off with them finding a dinosaur, uh, someone being someone being almost getting fired because they're building a planet for a client because they're they're terraformers, and um, someone has built into the planet uh, a dinosaur with a bad nuclear testing placard. <laughs> um, and again, there's there's that of course, of course there's, there's that Bertrand Russell line, turtles all the way down, uh-huh. which is uh, if if you if you don't know it, basically someone there's a debate about uh, the universe and what the universe is made of, and uh, this little old lady goes, uh, the, the Earth is on the back of a turtle. Everyone knows that everything's on the back of a turtle, and, and Bertrand Russell apparently turned around and said. Really? And what's holding up the turtle? And she went, you can't fool me with your logic. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why the Discworld is on the yeah, back of the turtle. And it's the Great Arturian. Which and four we... elephants stand upon Great Arturian and then the disc is bounced on, on them. Yeah. And we don't know the gender of the elephants and we don't know the de- no. gender of Great Arturian, but we have tried to find okay. out. Yeah. Well, of course we have. Fantastic, wasn't it? They get pushed yeah. off the end of the disc <laughs> to go and find out what, <laughs> whether the peek. Great Arturian is male or female because that's very, very important to certain philosophers. So, touching on feminism once again. <laughs> <laughs> Equal rights, again, another early yeah. one which is yeah. all about all, all about feminism and why, why do you have to be a witch rather than a wizard? Mm. Um, why would that work? The, the whole the whole setup for equal rights, where it's like you can only be you can only be magical if you're the seventh son. Unfortunately, the seventh son was a daughter. Yeah. yeah. So, um, quick question: as um, if you were just jumping onto the disc world now, mm. where would you, in your opinion, recommend that we start? And you can have different opinions on this because you know. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally have a different opinion to almost everyone else because I always say good, I always say small gods. But that's because you say small gods for every question about anything ever. <laughs> small gods. What's yes. your small gods. Crisps, small, small gods. gods. Uh, oh, delicious small so gods. I think that because I personally um, have been doing them like chronologically over the last like god decade and a half. Um, but I think that's one of the joys of the Discworld is because there's pockets of stories in them. So you get like watch stories, which is about like the Ankh-Morpork police force lovely um simon doing good radio there yeah um there's a webcam there's lankra stories but then within the lankra (laughs) stories you've got like tiffany stories you've got witches stories and the yeah the wizard story like it's it's you could go anywhere but i'd recommend if you're gonna pick a story that you're like oh i like the sound of this do the first one from that pocket being being serious because you know i jokingly always say small gods but it depends on who's asking yeah, it does. So if you're, you know, if you like detective stuff, I tend to say 
go with maybe God's Guards. Actually, maybe go with Nightwatch if you'd like. Really, and it's quite it's quite yeah. deep in there, but it's quite it's quite a dark one. If you like dark murder mystery, Nightwatch because it's you know the time traveling murder mystery adventure. Um, if you're a, ph- a, ph- a philosopher and you're a faith type person, then okay, then then small gods. small gods. If if politics is your thing, jingle. It, so essentially, we, um, there's a small questionnaire depending on uh, yeah, the <laughs> yes, or uh, flowchart as to say. Because <laughs> I've I've said about this, but I've actually completely ignored my own advice previously. I had um, a, a lovely lad I know called Josh. And he was interested in Pratchett and we were talking and so I lent him Witches Abroad because I knew it would make him giggle and I knew that he'd love it. And that's, I think, like the third or fourth Witches story from, from like, the Lancra stories. And um, two days later he gave it back to me and he'd been at work and we'd had rehearsals and he he was just hooked and it was a really nice introduction to Pratchett for him. If you like furry stories, pick <sighs> Witches Abroad. Yeah, Witches Abroad! <laughs> if you oh. like to laugh, Witches Abroad. <laughs> If you if you're burnt out on fantasy, uh, but you still love fantasy, but you hate elves, lords and ladies. Lord, I have the most. Actually, this this necklace is part of part of the memory. Actually, um, when I went to Mexico a few years ago, I took lords and ladies with me. I was visiting my uncle and auntie, and um, Addy was just like, "What are you reading?" Because you just haven't stopped laughing, and I laughed like the whole. You, you just do. You la- it's laugh out loud funny and it was brilliant but we, we were in Cancun and um, or near Cancun and the rainy, the rainy season started when we were on the beach and it literally does just start but it was still warm and it was nice and everyone was in the sea and I was sat on this little deck chair and I just got my tiny umbrella out of my bag and sat and carried on reading and um, when Addie got back she was just laughing because all the people who'd ran to the hotels and bars were just watching me and laughing because <laughs> it was just this girl sat on a beach unable to put down her book getting soaked through it's so wonderful I lost a Christmas to it's um, a very sort of Pratchett scene as well it's like <laughs> everyone just stood and then there's this one girl with her little umbrella and a deck chair and a book laughing out loud alone <laughs> completely <laughs> alone and like that, that Cancun the beach is just just expands it yeah. doesn't stop <laughs> this little lonely figure are you a project <laughs> protagonist because that's the sort of thing that he would do oh, to introduce her eyes, are just, her eyes are just a light with <laughs> glee <laughs> That would be so good. I wouldn't even like all those films where people are like, "Oh, I'm I'm fictional. I'm so sad. I wouldn't care." <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be the biggest honour, wouldn't I, it? I think you you should aspire to be a fictional character. Everyone should aspire to be a fictional character because they're unkillable. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I'd rather listen. find out I'd been written by Pratchett than George R. R. <laughs> 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 I know what you mean about being completely absorbed. I lost a Christmas to um, the last hero, um, and I basically I got the big, huge kind of like you know the, the colour one, um, big plate. Oh, all the like the wonderful illustrations. All the wonderful illustrated. Oh. I just I started reading it. Didn't stop. Didn't stop. Didn't stop. And strangely, I have this. I have this uncle called Christopher who is, uh, he used to be a boxer, he used to be an Olympic boxer. Now he's in his 80s and he's still made out of muscle and wire. And he's oh, essentially Cohen. He um, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he went, that must be a jolly good book because it's Christmas. And I was just like, do you know what? If there was ever a sign. <laughs> <laughs> there 
Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Put it to one side, but uh, but I did sneakily finish it that day because you know I'm a freak. Um, <laughs> sneakily. This is, uh, this is one of the things I love about hearing about Pratchett because everyone's got such beautiful anecdotes about it. Mm. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I it's love, such a personal experience. I love the Chuck Wendig story about when Chuck Wendig, Chuck Wendig famous for swearing, um, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Wendig, uh, the, the author, when he first met Terry Pratchett, um, he'd just gotten into Pratchett, he's an American, he'd, he'd gone over to, I think it was London or possibly Brighton or somewhere, he might have been trapped, somewhere. He was, in, he was in England and he was chilling out and he was like, right, I'm not here for very long, there's a bookshop over there. Wow. Okay, I should get as many Discord books as I can because they're hard to find at this point in his career. They were hard to find in in outside the, in the states. Mm. So he ran in, and there were like these Discord books just everywhere. So he started scooping them up and scooping them up, and and putting them into a, ba- uh, a basket. He was looking for, and the place was absolutely crammed with people. And he was like. Why is this place so full? I mean, it's a Saturday bookshop, I understand, but wow, these British people really love their books. <laughs> and then then he looked up and he saw this man in a hat and a beard and he went, there's a queue, you know. And he accidentally stumbled on the Pratchett signing. Oh, um, that's so, a wonderful oh, story. We should so tell him more about it in a minute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got to the point of the show where everyone's calmed down. So we're going to sneak off and have a conversation with Peter Newman from Tea and Jeopardy about his debut novel, The Vagrant. This is Fab Radio International. Peter Newman, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you and hello. So what can you tell us about the book that you have coming out? Okay, so my uh, debut novel is called The Vagrant, and it is uh, a a fantasy story set in a uh, far future world after a demonic apocalypse. Uh, It features a silent protagonist uh, and a baby and a goat as the main characters. Why did you choose this for your debut? Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say it was some kind of highly considered thing, but actually what it was was that uh, I've always loved fantasy and and science fiction, and this was just what crawled out of my brain at the time. What's the greatest influence on the work? Ooh, well, that's a good question. Um, I would say, well, there's all kinds of different elements in it, uh, depending on who you talk to. Uh, I would say that uh, if... So a lot of the influences, I suppose, from from Mind of Things, I think there's a dash of uh, Warhammer 40k in there. I think there's a dash of Final Fantasy in there. I think there's all kinds of, um, uh, you know, there's quite a lot of um, kind of core fantasy elements. It is at its heart a hero's journey. Someone described it on Twitter this morning. I've got to share this, but I'm very chuffed about this, uh, that it's a bit like China Mieville writing post-apocalyptic angelic nights. It, it is a beautiful description, one which I will be putting on my wall, I'm certain. So, Why are we obsessed with demons? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think I, I've, one of the things that I like about demons, uh, and they, I should say as well, these are not your kind of standard, uh, I don't know, biblical demons, but, uh, but the thing I like about demons is not only are they horrible, 
And not only are they extremely frightening as, a, as an enemy, but also there's something quite psychological about demons, I think. The demons often have some kind of relationship with, with humankind uh, and the way they think. Um, and th- th- sometimes, the, on the one hand, they are kind of monstrous things that kill, but also, on the other hand, sometimes they can offer quite interesting temptations to mankind as well. What's next? Though I suppose when I actually originally wrote The Vagrant, I wrote it as a standalone, or in my head it was going to be a standalone. But as I was coming towards the end of it, I realised I had much more to tell. Um, I've already drafted the sequel, and uh, which which takes which takes place sort of some time after The Vagrant, but still some of the characters kind of cross over. Um, I'm not going to say too much because I hate spoilers, but um, but suffice to say again that I think the I didn't necessarily set in my head that I wanted a duology. I think it's just that I told a story that I wanted to tell in The Vagrant, and then in the same world, I knew that there was a, a bigger story that I wanted to tell in the second book. Um, and, you know, again, uh, I'd be happy to tell more stories in that world as it goes. Uh, at the Bookworm, we're big fans of Tea and Jeopardy. How did that come about? So some years ago, uh, Emma Newman, my wife, uh, she was looking at podcasts, and she realised that there weren't that many podcasts that had a female voice, or there didn't seem to be that many. Um, and she decided that the best way to deal with that was to, to come up with one herself. And um, so we started chatting about various possibilities for podcast ideas. Uh, and we were, we were, one of the things that we realized was that a lot of podcasts out there are um, very intelligent and very thoughtful, involve kind of in-depth discussions of things. And we felt that perhaps there wasn't something we could add to that arena. But what we could do is we could, we could be very silly and maybe have a bit of fun. And so um, we, we came upon this idea about Tea and Jeopardy. And, and uh, in, the, in the original format, um, it was going to be much more along the lines that Emma would, would have a guest on the show. So for those of you who haven't listened to Tea and Jeopardy, it's essentially an interview show. Uh, a guest comes to a tea layer and the tea layer changes each episode so sometimes the tea layer is say in a volcano another time it might be in a hedge maze another time it might be in a giant robot and so on and so forth and the guest comes to this place they have tea and cake with emma and they have a nice kind of fun interview and then they face some kind of jeopardy or peril and in the original conception we were going to have emma put them through that peril but then we thought about it and, uh, you know, Emma, if, if any of you know Emma, she's an extremely lovely human being and she didn't quite have it in her to, to try and, you know, explode her guests on a regular basis. So in the end, the, uh, Emma has a butler in the podcast called Latimer and I voice the, uh, the butler. And often the butler is behind various nefarious schemes to get rid of the guest. And by and large, our guests do incredibly cool things to escape with their lives. Um, and that's essentially how it works and, and how it came about. Uh, and why people should listen to it? Well, I would say that it's fun. It's not too long. Um, you get to listen to your favourite authors trying to avoid being crushed to death or set on fire or shot and other things, which can be kind of a good laugh. Uh, and, and perhaps also to see a side of your... I mean, I say authors. We also sometimes have agents and editors and random people and artists and all kinds of interesting creatives. Um, but a chance maybe to see a slightly different side to them than you might normally. You're both writers. How does a household with two writers work? Um, well, it, it, there's sort of pros and cons, really. The con is, is that neither of us are bankers or lawyers, and so therefore, you know, um, we don't live in the, in the luxury that I'd like to. But in terms of the, the pros, there are, there are many. 
So one of the things that is wonderful is having someone else that understands the madness that goes with being a writer and, uh, and all the kind of the wibbles and the flails and the crying and all that kind of business. Um, from my point of view, it's wonderful because Emma is a few years ahead of me in terms of experience. So there's a lot of horrible traps and pitfalls and disasters and things that she has nobly fallen into so that I haven't had to uh, and can kind of advise me. But on a, on a day-to-day basis, it's just lovely because it means that we can go to coffee shops and talk plot. Uh, we can read early drafts to each other and get advice. Uh, one of the things that often happens is um, if I'm going to get stuck writing something, it's often not the really big things. It's the little things, the stupid things that I get stuck on, where I've written myself into a little corner. And I can just pop downstairs and say, oh, what's that? And I'll describe the problem. And then she'll just say, well, why not just have three of them instead of four of them or something like that? And I'll be like, oh, yeah. And then go off and do it. So, yeah, it's, it's just joyous. And I have genuine uh, sympathy for people who don't have access to a writer on a sort of 24-hour basis that they can talk to for support. Which is, if I can drop a little thing in, which is why sometimes at conventions I, I try to run a workshop about this. So um, at BristolCon last year, uh, I ran a workshop which was all around that troubleshooting thing where writers could bring uh, problems that they've got that they don't normally have someone else to talk to about and that we would fix those problems, those kind of little knots, so they could then go on and write the next thing. And I'm hoping to, to run a few more of those kind of at various conventions this year as well. Well, I'm going to be definitely going to Dysprosium at the start of April. Uh, I'm also going to be going to Nine Worlds. Uh, I'm planning to go to BristolCon and also to Opticon in uh, Dublin. Do you have anything else bubbling away in the back of your mind? Right, well, I'm dearly hoping that uh, people will love The Vagrant so much that they'll want me to write a third book in the series because I have a, an idea banging on the inside of my skull that wants to come out for that. Um, I also, I've got, a, <laughs> I've got all kinds of things. I've got a couple of manuscripts that I'm about to show to my agent and say, hey... How about checking these out? Um, I've got a, another project which, interestingly, also involves demons, um, which is currently in the form of a mind map sitting a few feet away from me, just giving me the side eye at the moment, which is uh, probably the next thing that I'm going to start looking at. Are there any other people's worlds that you'd like to play with? Ooh, that is a really interesting question. I don't know, because many of the, um, many of the, the, the authors that I admire... Um, you know, so if I was going to drop a couple of names, there's, there's all kinds of people, I, stuff I love for different reasons, say, and fancy. So, uh, I mean, Jabba Crombie is stuff I kind of worship at the altar of. Uh, Robin Hobb, again. Um, I love the kind of the Shadows of the App world of Adrian Tchaikovsky. I love, um, you know, the world of Eid from The Copper Promise and The Iron Ghost. But all of those authors have such distinct voices and have things that I'm so impressed by. You know, I don't feel that I'd necessarily be able to do what they do as well as they do it, if that makes sense. Uh, I'm quite rigid. You know, there was someone else asked me a question about, are there um, characters from my books that I'd like to go and play in other people's worlds, you know, as kind of mashups? But I often feel that characters fit very much in the worlds that they are kind of born into. So I guess, I don't know, I think I'm a bit of a traditionalist there. I quite like things being in their little boxes, if I'm honest. If you only had one book for company, what would it be? Oh, um, probably The Watchmen, um, uh, if I can have graphic novels. Because it is just 
one of the most amazing uh, things ever that I could happily reread kind of again and again. Uh, there was a, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, Kieran Gillen did a talk at Nine Worlds about The Watchmen, which I, he's just put up online, which is the most, which makes me love it even more than I loved it before. I, I'm appreciating new levels of clever. Uh, and if I can squeeze in an extra sneaky book, um, then I would, I would put in um, the, uh, any of the Amber books by Roger Zelazny, which I also love in a kind of mind-expanding just brilliance uh, in terms of kind of fancy and just crazy, just going out there. And finally, truth or beauty? Beauty. Peter Newman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. FabRadioInternational.com So while we were all listening to that, uh, we were also talking about the covers. Yes, um, and yeah. I was just saying that as someone that sort of arrived to the UK <laughs> at the tender age of 23, um, walking into Waterstones, I mean, the early covers didn't do anything to me, so I never picked up any of the books until I saw um, the TV adaptation of Hogfather. Oh. Uh, and after that, uh, which I watched with my now husband, uh, he said, "Oh, I've got, I've got the books." So I read Hogfather to see what the difference was, and I was like, "Oh my god, I want to be Susan when I grow up so bad." <laughs> when I grow up, um, so that is forever my favourite book uh, because the, obviously I had the visual first, and then I discovered how much more beautiful the book was, and, and just kind of fell in mm. love with the characters and death. Who doesn't love death? That's amazing. What a shock that me and Ninfa don't agree on something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love the, the covers of old um, and was really drawn to them. Um, oh, it, I've already forgotten the name that we've literally just been talking about. Josh Kirby. Thank you, Kirby. I can't remember if it's Kirby or Kirkby. Um, to the point that because because I read slowly and because I'm adding to my collection bit by bit, I'm sad now that the books I should be able to get in the Josh Kirby covers, I Not can't bad. anymore. Um, and I know there's some that never had a Josh Kirby cover because obviously that's fine but I'm now gonna, it's just, it feels like it's incomplete and it's a sad collection oh, a big big shocker I actually prefer the, the newer covers the black I don't ones mind with, them yeah it's I just think really nice. something feels it felt like something that was never going to change mm. the limited edition hardbacks with the art <gasps> covers are absolutely oh gorgeous beautiful. the Good Omens cover oh. is amazing it's so good but that's the sort of thing that happens when because Terry Pratchett was a superstar uh, he yeah. was a superstar author he was one of the great uh, he still is but yeah. you know while he was alive he was he was one of the you know best selling most grossing authors in the world but mostly in the UK especially in the UK and then mm. obviously because he was so big in the UK kind of the appeal doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen that you get a big offer that sucks everyone else in. But you know, he's he's kind of his own orbit was large enough and his work was broad enough that it appealed to an awful lot of people. So you know, he was huge, which meant that of course you get all sorts of different editions of the books and different sort of translations and also different sorts of covers, uh, which I, I kind of I really like uh, and really appreciate. Josh Kirby is very marmite, I think. You look at the, the sort of the figures that they kind of look like babies. The sort, of the, the, the sort of bulbous arms and legs and things, but but, but very muscular babies. The, 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 the men are muscular babies, and the women are 
busty babies, can I say that? Yeah. Um, just did. Too late, though. Yeah, it's very odd. I've got to say, I'm, I'm with Nympho. I was never a particular fan of the cover art. <laughs> I mean, but, oh, know. really? <laughs> <laughs> there was a thing as well, though. When he was, when he was like, you know, d- during the kind of the first 10, 12 of his books, where, you know, early in his reign, mm. uh, Josh Kirby would also draw art for other fantasy, other comic fantasy authors. Mm. And you would pick up another comic fantasy author's book. I would, I would be in the library, and it'd be like, like a kid in a sh- sweet shop. And I'd pick up this book, and I'd be like, "Is that another Pratchett?" And it wasn't. No, it was just a, just yeah, don't get me wrong; they're beautiful. It just doesn't appeal to me because it, I don't know. I just look at it and think, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this story. So I, I didn't pick them up. And you know, it, it's it's silly, but that is. The after first the first, thing that I look at. after the first couple I'd read, because because the the covers are the story, I mm. stopped looking at them, and I would just because it's got a big box, it's got the title, and so then I'd read the book, and then I'd look over the cover and be like, oh yeah, oh, it's, a, that. it's a bit and like Where's sense. Wally, isn't it? Where you, you're picking <laughs> up various bits yeah, of the, the story, but the thing the thing with the art of the Discworld is the, a lot of art has been drawn of the Discworld mm. um, the Josh Kirby stuff is one of the things that almost captures the feel I feel whereas yeah. the graphic novels never quite worked for me you know mm. I'd never really thought about it until um, we were talking about it now and actually <laughs> I'm, I'm probably coming I'm probably coming down with an inference eye on this and that it's just um, and that I yeah, for some reason, whilst I liked the covers, it wasn't enough to get me to pick but the books the sto- up. The storytelling aspect is brilliant because you are right. The, 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 you can do a Where's Wally, and when you finish the book, you can go back and look at the cover again. But it's just it's just the the, the sort of co- the figures. If I it's mean, not to your taste, it's not to your taste. At the end of the day, yeah. Simon's copy of of Guards Guards, and I read the back, and I think okay, that I would really love. But just by seeing it, like there on the table it wasn't doing anything for I, I would actually make the argument that the most significant piece of Discworld art you can get your hands on and this despite the fact that Terry himself used to joke about this trope in, bo- in books are the maps oh. <laughs> you know what I love maps in books this book does not this book does not contain a map feel free to draw your own yeah exactly which is I believe the colour of magic mm. um, uh, no it's, it's one of the ones I looked at on the way out the door today and I can't remember which one which one do you it's one of the early ones, yeah. I'm sure. If he had the maps whilst he was... Fascinatingly, he had it all in his head. And this is this is because the, one of the first maps they did was Ankh-Morpork. I think Ankh-Morpork was the first map. I think so. Well, he did that in conjunction with, some, with, a, with a cartographer, didn't he? He didn't do it himself. Well, the cartographer got in touch and said, and said you, you clearly know where everything is in Ankh-Morpork because you read the books and he knows... How you go through the shades, and he knows where everything yeah. connects to each other. And I've so, drawn this, by the way. And I've drawn this based on your. And, and he, they sat down. He sat down, and Terry had the map in his head. He just hadn't drawn the map because, you know, he couldn't draw maps. He couldn't draw maps. <laughs> so he got someone to sit down, and he could describe it perfectly. And obviously, one of those one of those strange things about maps is maps are this this, this weird form of communication where it tells you where everything is, and. We don't think about it as a way of communication when really they are like you know just it's almost like reading a novel in its own right. It's one of those things I always wonder whether um, which, which comes first out of the novel and the map. And actually, when you're um, talking about um, a, a visual tool, there is nothing better than a map for say for actually giving it that 
this is going to sound strange, but realism. But um, with Terry, he had it all in his mind. Yeah, you see them. You see Discworld maps and uh, maps of Westeros and various other things that are just pinned up on people, uh, that are framed on people's walls when you go around their houses. Yeah. The way they've done them, it's just such a real place. And you're sort of, once you've read the book, you're like, yeah, I know where that is. Mm. It's, it's, the Ankh-Morpork map came out in 1993. Color of Magic is 83, so... Yeah. It's, a decade. It, it's it's one of those one of those unfortunate things about the way my brain works that because I can look at the map and because I can read books like Guards Guards, mm. I can almost smell Ant Morpork, which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no one wants to smell Ant Morpork. <laughs> oh, but yeah, the, the river you can stand in. Yeah, <laughs> but I love the explanation as to because he he sat down at some point and clearly he understood how the city worked. So it's like, well, hang on, how does that work? Because if you can't Actually, if you can walk across the river, and that's clearly an open sewer, which looks suspiciously like the Thames. Which <laughs> looks suspiciously like the Thames. If that's an open sewer, where does the fresh water come from? And then the the answer, of course, is the sewers. <laughs> uh, and there's a is it is it the truth? I can't remember which one it is now, but there is a one where they where they're running through the end. There's a very scene where they're running through the undersea, mm. and there's like an undersea to Ant Morpork. Yeah. Which and is cleaner than the actual city. <laughs> 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 um, in terms of like, the mappage and stuff, right? Um, I've I've reviewed Men at Arms on this show before. Previously, we did like a Guards Guards show, um, and that you just you follow them. You you do like when they're running here and they're running there and then they're up on a roof and but you can you can see something that isn't being described to you because you have full trust that. The author is completely aware of where they've gone and where they're going, and like Carrot knows exactly where this street goes and what this does. And Weirdly, for me, when I'm reading the the, the guards guards the, the guards novels, uh, the Watch and the Amorpok stuff, um, I navigate. This is an awful thing to admit, but I can navigate. I'm very bad at the maps and very bad at navigation in general. But when I'm reading the ter- the Discworld Amorpok stuff. I can navigate at various points, and for me, you know how when you're in a real city, you you know certain landmarks, because it's the first place that carrot stays in. Mrs. Palms mm. is one of the places that I can go. Well, no, I know where that is, oh. so therefore I can work out where everything else is in the city. So, uh, in case you don't know the books, I navigate. Via the whorehouse, and then and then and then and then move out. Um, <laughs> oh, so you, it's, it's it's your kind of the Ankh-Morpork version for you of like Beetham Tower in Manchester. <laughs> I don't know where I am, but I can see Beetham Tower, and it's facing that way. So that means I'm in this part of the does city. The, does the whorehouse whistle in the wind? <laughs> oh. So I, I mean. From someone that has only read like two books by Terry Pratchett, I think one of the wonderful things is is just the a huge world that he built and that has so many different aspects to it that you're bound to find something that you're going to love in there. Yes. So you know you're either gonna be like Ed was saying before, you know, if you like murder mysteries you follow the guards stories um you know if you like your fantasy you've got the witches and his take on the elves and all of these things um if you like you know um sort of like a bit more philosophical approach you've got that side of it as well i mean 
I remember when I read Hogfather that the thing that really like grabbed me, apart from Susan and Death, was the Ancien University. And oh. I thought, what a fantastic, incredible take on these wizards and what they do with their days. Because because of why we're all here, it's probably no, no, no surprise. But for me, like Ancien University sounds amazing, but I would just live in the library. <laughs> yeah. I love the library. Yes. We all love the library. So Oh my god, we all love the librarian. <laughs> you, you would just turn up with a bag full of bananas. Yeah. And, and, and you would just sit there and you wouldn't go into the magical section because the books might eat you. Oh, yes. And you'd be very careful about L space. I love the idea of L space. I just uh, <laughs> adore the idea. And, yeah. Knowledge is power equals MC squared, therefore. Um, <laughs> the library is the most dangerous place you will oh. ever visit. Which, which is entirely true, and also just you know the fact that you can navigate from one library to another. Weirdly, um, the, we we reviewed a book called The Invisible Library, and we we talked to the author, mm. and she was saying that that you know, clearly one of the inspirations was the concept of L space, and that that's a series of books. Um, she's on the second one now, um, which are all about transdimensional libraries and a library that's outside of reality and that sort mm. of thing. And that's what the Unseen University Library feels to me like. But um, we uh, uh, we went to Chester Zoo a little while ago, and I was just looking at the orangutans, going, "Where are the books? Where are the books?" <laughs> <laughs> brilliant! The way you see an orangutan put a blanket on its head, and that's yeah, it's the librarian when he's sat. <laughs> <laughs> the world 24 hours a day this is Fatboyian International Talking about orangutans, we'll put links up to relevant orangutan charities. Yeah, because he got involved in that because he, he because he because he wrote about the, the librarian and he, who became a fan favourite. He became interested in actual orangutans and became was he was he a, a patron or a president of a, an orangutan charity? Well, it's one of his one of his kind of significant and well often quoted lines is I, I would rather be a rising ape than a falling angel. Yeah, and he was very much a humanist. Um, I, the the recent Harry Fratcher book I read was a set of the keyboard, which is a collection of his nonfiction and various essays, various talks he gave at world cons and the like. Um, and he was a he was a profound humanist, and I think the humanism and his 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 love of people and his love of all the the nonsense that people got up to and the way that people think is one of the things that he keeps going back to. One of my favorite books is The Truth. Um, for obvious reasons, because it's about journalism, but that, that <laughs> wonderful com- that wonderful conversation where everyone is trying to be cleverer than any- everyone else in the room, and there's one guy who knows everything that's going on and he can't say anything. He's <laughs> just getting more and more frustrated because it's not that he can't say anything; he just knows that these people won't listen when he says something. And it's just this, you know, he encapsulates the not only the human experience, but also how we deal with information and how we deal with news. And that, that for me is, you know, a lot of what he talks about. You know, we haven't we haven't touched on a fraction of his work. 
Yeah. No. no. This is one of the amazing things about um, Pratchett, though. I mean, I haven't. Um, I'm not saying I'm not. A, um, I, I, I haven't um, got round to the reading. It was one of those things. Was never. It was one of those things. I was going to get round to it. I was going to get round to it. I still am, and I will. Um, but I know instantly what everyone's talking about because yeah. things are just so iconic. Some of the ideas are just so. Uh, the characters, um, the settings are so iconic and set in stone as. Uh, as, uh, instantly recognize uh, and, and and instantly recognizable. You know the the, mm. the librarian, the luggage. Um, I, mm. I, rhymes. Any, any any of these people, I could uh, they're talk always about like archetypal, aren't they? Mm. Well, deliberately so. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking about the early books, and I think they started out very sort of spoofy in a sort of almost Robert Rankin way, and they gradually evolved into their own thing rather than just being a spoof of other stuff. Um, your your question earlier was a good one, Russ. And my first introduction was Guards Guards, um, and that's you know that was one of the early examples. Of what he, he really starts to establish Ankh Morpork more, uh, rather than just as generic fantasy city. He started to talk about how the city works and seriously introduce the patrician. It's um, the patrician and Vimes, and I think yeah. there's an element of Vimes. Uh, you, you kind of you try and look for the man behind the behind the words sometimes, and there's very much an element of the patrician in Terry Pratchett, uh, mm. and very much a, a kind of a well organised, kind of a very tidy mind, um, full of stuff and full of uh, ideas. And then there is Vimes, mm. who is a man who is angry. And he's angry because he knows exactly what's going on and he knows exactly what evil lurks in man's heart. And it annoys him. Mm. Which is also Terry Pratchett. Which is yeah. also Terry Pratchett. Vimes yeah. is the heart of Discworld, I think. Like, there's, if you're, there's certain characters where, like, if, if characters were the body, Vimes would be the, the heart, the, that kind of pumping force of, of wonderful. So who would you say was the soul? Death! <laughs> no, 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 no! I would say it's Granny Weatherwax. I would say Granny. Yeah. Absolutely, Granny Weatherwax, because she's the profound spiritualism. Um, yeah. And to be honest, I would also say that the um, that Ridgully is the trousers, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. yeah. or at least the trouser re- region, um, because he is the silly wizard who who gets up to all sorts of nonsense. Uh, and Rincewind is clearly the legs, <laughs> mm-hmm. because Rincewind is a, your classic fantasy hero in the sense that he will always run away, and that's mm. why he's lived so long. Gaspard is your inner voice. <laughs> <laughs> Gaspard is a magical, magical talking dog, where he would <laughs> rather not r- point out that he's a e magical or b talking. Um, he, what he wants is a biscuit. <laughs> Woof! Give me a biscuit. Woof! <laughs> Ooh, good boy. Have a biscuit. <laughs> we'll be back in a second. Across the world, the real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com So you've been listening to the Radio Bookworm um, in association with Starburst Magazine and we have been saying goodbye to Sir Terry Pratchett um, and it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. It's au revoir from me, Cy Lloyd. It's melon, melon, error for me, Nympha Hayes. Thank you for everything. It's Russell Smith. Um, cheerio, well done for jumping the queue. 
granddad. <laughs> the Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune, Nympha Hayes, Rebecca Derrick, Cy Lloyd and Russ Smith. Produced by A.L. Johnson.